River Valley, I hope you are doing well. It is Logan. I'm coming at you solo. Pastor Kirk is on vacation this week. He preached this weekend and then got out of here. So I'm glad to be hosting this by myself today. We got a lot of great questions this week. As I mentioned, Pastor Kirk preached, finishing up our series on 1 Peter. He talked about 1 Peter 5 again and really recapped the whole thing. His title of his message was The Fight of a Lifetime. And I know that I took notes. He had a great, great quotes too from Ben Franklin and St. Augustine. St. Augustine said, the last day is a secret in order that every day may be taken seriously. We are living in a world that we don't know when it will end. We don't know when Christ will return, but we should be ready. Just like the parable, we should be ready, ready to go, ready to, to fight this battle. It's not a battle of flesh and blood, as the scripture says. But the thing that stuck out to me, and, and sometimes when I'm listening to a message, and maybe this happens to you, but I'm listening to a message and some thought comes to my mind that is kind of related and it comes, and maybe it's just because I'm a pastor as well, but I'll start taking notes about my thoughts from the message. So it's almost like an interpretation and like a rabbit trail from this. But when Kirk mentioned James 4, 7 through 8, something jumped in my mind and you know we we may know this verse already but a lot of people have have referenced it but resist the devil and he'll flee from you but then also it says draw near to god and he'll draw near to you and the thought i had was what if you resist god does that mean that god will flee from you right it, it's kind of following the logic and i know that's not what this verse says but in some ways, you see Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. You see Esau throughout Scripture. God, God hardens people. God, God changes people. And, and, and I've always struggled with that, right? Is, is, does God do that to people so that because he wants them to sin? Or is, it, I mean, is that him controlling us? And it kind of takes away this idea of do we have any bit of free will at all? And, of course, that's a topic of discussion. But really, I think that, what God's saying here is you are getting what you're asking for in some ways, right? C.S. Lewis said that if hell is locked, it's only locked from the inside, right? Because we choose it. We choose hell. We choose God. We choose the devil. We choose his temptations. But when we resist it, obviously he flees from us. But also in the same way, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And I, and I just think that the... What, what I was processing in the, the message today is whatever you're deciding, whatever you're choosing, you're going to receive the fruit from that. And so if you're choosing to pursue the things of the enemy, then that's going to be the pursuit of your life. If you're choosing to draw near to God, then of course he's going to draw near back to you. But I, I think sometimes we have this idea, and Nathan Finocchio talked about this a while back too, but it, that God is this desperate person who is just begging us and begging us to to be in love with him. And, and of course, there is some of his jealousy that he talks about in scripture, but I think it's a misunderstood jealousy that it's not God begging us and crying out and, you know, like, oh, would you please love me? But it's more so this desire because of the love that he has for us, that he wants us to have this relationship, that he, he desires it because he knows that's what's best for us because he's our creator. And so again, that just stuck out to me, drawing near to Jesus and fleeing from the enemy are we are we doing what god has asked us to do by seeking him or 
do we not even know him? I I know from Martha Tennyson's message from Seek Week. She said, I'm not going to seek healing. I'm going to seek the healer, right? We're going to seek the God who we know can meet our needs, not because we just want him to meet our needs, but because we want to know him. We want to have relationship with him. The term fellowship, we want to fellowship. We want to know God in a different way. And so I just encourage you today, even kicking off this podcast, that we would learn to know God, that we'd learn to draw near to him, and that that would be a theme for our lives. And uh, I want to get to some questions here because I think there are some fantastic questions. And one of them comes from Tom, and it's kind of related to this. And Tom asks, let me scroll. I don't have a host, so here we go. Tom asked, how do you personally recognize the glory of God and give him glory? It's a great question. How do you personally recognize the glory of God? Well, I think there's a number of ways that we can recognize his glory. I think taking in a breath, right? Thinking about our body that was created. I I was chatting on Sunday with a friend, Aaron, at City Campus, and we were just talking about the, really that the glory of God, right? How it's hard to fathom the earth and its perfect existence and how gravity, if it was a little bit stronger, we wouldn't be able to move. And if it was a little bit weaker, we'd float out to the atmosphere. Or even you look at a tree or you, I mean, look at something with a magnifying glass or a microscope and see the intricacies. Or maybe you go out in nature and you see mountains. And I was in Colorado this this past week after general council for a couple of days and just seeing the, the mountains and the just beauty of the earth. So I think there's ways that you can recognize the glory of God. Um, Richard Hammer talked about that, the vestiges of it. And I know I mentioned that before, but vestiges of, of his glory. And so I think how we can recognize his glory is, is also through people. It's through his creation, not just his, his creation of, of earth, but his creation of people, seeing people's personalities. You see a kid laughing and, or you see somebody using their gifts through athletics. You just see all of these things. So I think, again, it's a broad answer, but I think you can recognize the glory of God in everything that we do. And then the second part of your question is how to give him glory, right? And I think that that's another very important question. And of course, we can give God glory by our worship. We can give God glory by prayer. We can give him glory by being pure and holy and and embodying that, right? But also, I think we can give him glory by doing the works that he says, you know, right? Faith without works is dead. And and it's not that we need works to get ourselves to heaven, but I think it's with the absence of them that James also talks about, that we should be bringing glory to God by serving others. What, what does he say? If when you clothe the, the naked, when you feed the hungry, you're doing this to me. And so I think there's, again, so many ways to give him glory, to recognize his glory and to give him glory is really by doing what scripture says. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think it really is that simple is what does scripture say? What does Jesus teach of how we should live our life? And by that, by using the gifts that God has given us, we can give him glory. Lindsay asked, someone asked me, is someone closer to God than others because they pray in tongues? It's a really interesting question, and I, and I think the, the phrase closer to God is one that I want to be intentional about answering because on the surface, someone who's a spirit-filled Pentecostal would say, absolutely, someone is closer to God than others because they pray in tongues, because they sought after their gift 
and they experienced it. And, and I think there's, there's maybe some truth to that. I mean, personally, I, I pray in tongues and it's something I do daily. And I definitely feel closer to God when I pray in tongues. But again, the question, is someone closer to God than others because they pray in tongues? Again, it's a, it's a difficult question. You, you hear John Piper talks about how he, he prayed and, and sought after the gift. And there's so many pastors and, and theologians who are just know the word of God so well and are deep in his presence and have, have sought after the gift of tongues that have never received it. And so I feel like I can't answer the question perfectly, but I think praying in the spirit and, and experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit is something that brings you closer to God. And so again, I, I, I think in some ways, yes, but because you haven't received that gift, I don't believe that means you're not close to God. I don't believe that means you can't be experience his presence in the way that, that God has for you. And, and although I do believe that everyone can receive this gift of tongues, obviously there are people that, that don't, and that, that shouldn't be a, a hierarchical way. We shouldn't treat people, uh, especially those in charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled movements, that someone is a lesser Christian because of it. But I do think we shouldn't just opt out and say, well, I didn't get that, and so I shouldn't pursue this. Again, from personal experience, it is a gift that has brought me closer to God and helps me to pray in different ways that maybe I wouldn't be able to pray because I don't know knowledge of things. And uh, my dad and I, as I mentioned before, we did a podcast on that with talking church on the gifts of the spirit and when he prays in tongues and things like that. So unfortunately it's, it's kind of a non-answer, but again, an answer from personal experience. But if you look at scripture, you see that there was, this gift is something Paul says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. He says to desire this, but it's not a salvation issue. It's not a, a, a issue that would say God is, is, again, going back to the first kind of point, that God is pushing you away because of this. But I do believe we can seek, we can desire, and in our seeking, we can grow closer to God as well, not just in the receiving of the gift too. So hopefully that makes sense. Maricel asks, how do I discern between a good word and a God word? It's a fantastic question. And uh, ironically, this, this weekend, we have John Bevere that's going to be with us, and he has a book called Good or God. And so that's a great resource where it kind of dives in, what are the things of this world that are good, and what are the things of this world that are of God? And sometimes it's hard to distinguish, especially when someone is well-meaning, right? Maybe you have somebody that walks into church, and they say they have a word from God for you, or, or kind of the uh, egregious example of, well, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to break up with you, right? Uh, probably the, the hardest question or the, the hardest uh, response to, to give an answer to, right? It's like, well, why did he say that? Well, you know, I just, I really love this relationship and I've loved everything about it, but you know, there's just, the Lord is leading me. I don't think that God does that. The Bible says God is not a God of confusion, right? And so if it's confusing, if it's weird, if it doesn't make sense to other believers, again, now, certainly the word of God is confusing the world. Peter talks about that, how the world, they butcher scripture because they're confused by it. They don't know it. So I'm not talking about the world per se, but other believers, if you're confusing the body of Christ by things like, oh, the Lord told me I'm supposed to break up with you. Well, you'd better have a really good reason and you better be really sure that that's the Lord because that's a, a really good way to mess somebody's spiritual life up because 
you're not giving them any closure and any reason. So back to the question though, and off the rant, is how do you determine that? First, does it align with scripture? You can test a lot of things to know, does this align with the word of God? You know, if somebody is leading you into sin or if somebody is leading you into a purpose that doesn't align with the word of God, then that's a great first test is go to scripture and say, what, is, what does the Bible have to say about this? Now, if you're at this point asking this question and you're a believer and, and I'm, I'm sure this is the case, you're, you've probably already done that, right? I, it doesn't seem to be clear in scripture whether this is from God or not. Well, then secondly, I think you can ask other people in your life that are gifted, that you believe are filled with the Spirit, that are uh, followers of Jesus, and get their advice, right? The Bible says that wise counsel is a good thing, that a rebuke of a friend is a gift, right? And so maybe you need to talk to somebody who is wise or has gone through a situation like that. So talking to someone else about it, I think, is a great thing. But again, don't talk to your friend that gives bad advice just because you want to chat with someone about it and they're a, a listening ear. Find somebody that really is going to understand all sides of this, ask questions about the context, and really see you in it. Because if you say to somebody, hey, I want to take this job, it's a big pay increase. They'll say, oh, do it, right? But then a wise person is going to ask, well, why are you leaving your current job? Are you running from something or or are you running to something? Or how far is the commute? Or is this work from home? Is work from home good for you? Have you ever done that before? You know, asking these types of questions that maybe you've never thought about it before to where, oh, maybe this, maybe this just seemed like a good thing, but it's actually not where God wants me to go. And another thing that you can do is look at the gifts that God has given you, right? If you are in prayer and all of a sudden you feel like, I really feel like I'm supposed to do something big. And then somebody goes up to you and says, hey, the Lord told me a word for you that you're supposed to go be a professional baseball player. And you go, oh my goodness, God, I was in prayer today. You told me something big was going to happen. And now this person says I'm going to be a professional baseball player. But maybe you've never played baseball in your entire life. Sure, it could be the case, but it feels weird that it doesn't really align with the gifts that God has given you. God has given us all unique gifts that we are supposed to bring to the world. And so when it's random like that, you really have to be vigilant with your response. Say, okay, God, is this you or is this just some crazy person that had this weird idea or they thought they heard from you and, and they totally didn't? And again, it could be the case, but it's, does this align with Scripture? Does this align with other people in my life? And, and I, I, in my own life, I've seen that when God speaks to me, usually there's an affirmation of the word that he's spoken to me. It's usually not a random person giving me my vision or direction. Almost always it's I'm feeling something from the Lord and I'm not sure if that's the case. And then someone else gives me that confirmation rather than someone else randomly just giving me something that I've never felt in prayer. I've never felt before. I, I, I remember in college that people would come up to me all the time and they'd say, I have this word for you and, and I, I want to speak this over you. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if that's right. And it was definitely something that they just made up. And obviously I've had times where people had great words that totally aligned, but you have to be discerning because even well-intentioned people, and I think that's the scariest part. If it's a random person on the street, you might go, oh, I'm not going to consider it. But if it's a well-intentioned person, someone that you love and you trust and you care about, you really have to ask yourself and ask other people. So again, does it align with his word? Does it align with other people in my life that I know 
are wise, that have my best interest in mind, that hear from the word of God? And then does it align with the gifts that I believe that God has given me? And have I heard it before? Am I feeling this direction or is it super random? And again, if it is random, I'm not saying it's not God, but I do think we have to be more vigilant, wait for confirmation, especially when it's a really big decision, not one that is where should I go to eat today for lunch or what should I have for breakfast? So it's a great question. Hopefully that is helpful to answer it there. David asks, explain Mark 10. Here we go. Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. Was Jesus absent of the Holy Spirit? Curious on how you view that for theology. It's a great question. Uh, Anytime I have to explain Mark 10 or explain a a verse from the Bible, I always want to be careful and intentional because this is my interpretation of it, but obviously doing research and understanding the question at hand. But I'll read Mark 9 through 11. It's a couple of verses that we see this throughout different parts of the gospels as well. But in this specific case, it's the baptism of Jesus. And verse nine says, in those in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of, of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So obviously David's question is about the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, this dove, the symbolism, And there's a lot going on here that I think we can address. And first, why is Jesus getting baptized in the first place, right? We know that baptism was a symbolic thing in Judaism of the cleansing of their impurities. And there was all sorts of impurities that people would have, ceremonial impurities, if they touched a dead animal, or if there was any sort of blood or anything like that, they would go and purify themselves so then they could go into the temple. And so really, Jesus he doesn't need to be purified because he's perfect. He's sinless, right? But he does this as a way to, to one, give an example, right? But also to show how this baptism would, would foreshadow the cleansing that would come, right? You know, you hear Jesus or John baptized with water, yet Jesus baptizes with the spirit and with fire. And so really this moment is a, a passing of the baton in some senses, obviously Jesus was always God, but of the ministry, you know, Scripture talks about how John the Baptist was Elijah, the modern-day Elijah, who prepared a way for the Lord. And so this is a moment where John, who is preparing the way, was preparing the hearts of the people, was preparing the teaching to where it's this transition to Jesus' ministry. And so we see then the Holy Spirit descend down on Jesus. We see God the Father expressing his love and how pleased he is with his son. And it's this moment of unity. And again, Trinitarian theology comes, this is an important point to where both God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are all in this same place to where they're they're distinct persons all together at the same time. So this is an important point. If somebody asks you about the Trinity as well, you say, look at God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are all together at the same time. They're not in individual things that change forms, right? It's an important distinction. It's not that God the Father became the Son. The Son was always there, but the Son went down to earth. And so again, it's it's this combination where we see three distinct persons, three distinct persons in the Bible um, of God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. So the Spirit comes down, and the question that David asks is, does that mean that Jesus was not filled with the Spirit before this. And I think it's important to look back at the Old Testament when the Spirit of God would would be poured out on people and they would prophesy and they would have 
uh, the prophet would hear the word from the Lord, the spirit would descend down upon them, but then the spirit would leave that person. And so in this case, we see the spirit descend down and it's not that Jesus needed the spirit of God because he was absent of it, but it's actually the descending down symbolic of the prophets in the Old Testament to say this person, Jesus, the son of God, he's now prepared and he's anointed in a way to do the work of his ministry. And so the spirit pours itself down. You know, John the Baptist was, was, filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. Luke 1, 15 says that. But then Jesus, of course, is greater than John the Baptist. But what does Jesus say about why the spirit is on him? It says in Luke 4, Luke 4, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus gives this clarity of why the Spirit came upon him. The Spirit came upon him to anoint me, to proclaim the good news, to proclaim liberty, to set people free, to to heal people. And so the, the Holy Spirit coming upon him is an equipping for his ministry so that he can do the work that he was prophesied to do. And again, this reminder that Jesus is a prophet. Of course, he's a priest, he's a king, he's all of these things. But it's this symbolic purpose of, yes, the spirit has come down. It's equipped him to do the work so that he can do the healing. And again, I know it can can seem confusing. Well, did, did he have the Holy Spirit before? The Holy Spirit is is empowering Jesus. But then Jesus says, hey, I need to leave so that you can also receive the gift that I've been operating in so that you can see the gifts of the Spirit happen. So again, it's it's a lot there that's happening in Mark 1, and there's probably even more that, that we could discuss about that, but hopefully that answers your question, David. Anthony asks, as I grow, take ground, pursue righteousness, the enemy's attacks are more intense. What are practical things I can do in my life to fight back without losing ground and continuing to grow? And he also says, thanks for the amazing message, Pastor Kirk. I know he's probably listening to this, even though he's on vacation. Amazing message, Pastor Kirk. But what are practical things I can implement in my life to fight back without losing ground and continuing to grow? It's a great question. And the first point is is true, right? Where God is giving breakthroughs the enemy is going to try to attack. We've heard it before that God is happy to take Christians and just, or, or the, the enemy, sorry, is, is happy with Christians that are doing nothing for God. Maybe they, they love God, but they're doing nothing for him. They're not actually trying to evangelize. They're not trying to change the world. He's kind of almost moved his efforts on. If you've ever read Screw Tape Letters from C.S. Lewis, that's a great book to kind of, process through the minds of the enemy's attacks and all those written by C.S. Lewis, it's, it really, I think, is profound to understand, wow, there's people out there, that the enemies out there, there's the demons out there that are trying to destroy the people of God. But as we grow, as, as we see new ground in our life, as we maybe are taking ground with our family or taking ground in our job, or, or you start to be more bold in your faith here in, in bold month, in the month of August, Kirk mentioned it, but it, it's from Seek Week. If you didn't hear it, my, my dad declared, it's going to be bold month in the month of August. How can we declare our faith? How can we be more bold? How can we stand up for the things that God has given us? And so I think as we start to be more bold in our faith, the attacks of the enemy become more intense because he doesn't want us to be bold. He doesn't want us to share faith. He doesn't want us to do the things that God has asked us to do. He wants us to sit back and just be quiet and shut our mouth, right? Scripture says, 
who lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel, right? No, go put it up on a hill for people to see. Well, that's what we're, God is asking us to do. That's what being bold is. But the enemy is going to try to do whatever he can to snuff your torch. And, you know, you see Paul, I think he's the greatest example of this, of it getting more intense. It's, he says, I was beaten. I was, I was thrown out of towns. I was arrested. You know, I was held captive and prisoner. Yet I keep the faith. I press on. I, I serve God even more. So again, let him be an example. And you see throughout the apostles, we talk about it in Peter and suffering. But practical ways, I think the practical way, the best practical way is increasing our devotion and our time with the Lord. And it seems kind of like a cop-out answer, and I don't mean it to be. But more time in the presence of the Lord prepares us for the attacks of the enemy. More prayer, more seeking him, more of God's manifest presence, supernatural touch, peace that the Holy Spirit brings, more of that helps us to fight against the attacks of the enemy. And so, sure, there are other practical ways that you can grow with surrounding yourself with other godly people who can stand with you and encourage you and help you in those attacks asking other people for prayer, asking other people to lift you up, asking other people to keep you accountable to some of your temptations. Those are all practical things. Going to church more frequently. Again, being in in the presence of God. I think another practical way is to continue to take ground by doing more things, right? We've heard before from psychologists, or I guess, I don't know where it comes from, but if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, right? You can't really stay in the same spot, or you can, but not for very long. Eventually, you're going to move, or the world's going to move around you. And so how do we grow? Well, we do new things. Maybe I'm going to serve in a new way, or I'm going to be bold again and share my faith in a new way. But I think sometimes we take ground, and we do this, and we're excited about it. We, well, we were at Serve Day, and now it's Bold Month, and I'm coming to church more frequently, and I'm reading my Bible more frequently, but then it stays there and then we kind of regress back to the old ways. And so I think that we have to ask ourselves, what is the thing that I'm going to continue to do to grow? Maybe I need to pray over somebody and I've never prayed over them before. Maybe I need to lead a small group and I've never led a small group before. Maybe I need to go on a global team because I've never been on a global team before. And, it, and it's not this, this pattern of success up and to the right, KPIs, business, things like that. You're not a business. And so that's why I started with, it's more time in the presence of God. But I do think that you see the apostles, their intensity gets more as they grow. Their intensity to share the gospel gets greater. As Paul writes all his letters through the epistles, you see his intensity of, you, ha- you need this. You need more of God. You need more. I have to say this to you. He says it all the time. I have to say, I know it's hard, but I have to tell you this because it's too important to miss. So it comes from the presence of God. It comes from the time with him, but also I think continuing to grow in what is my next step with what God is asking me to do? Because I believe that God continue, wants to continue to grow us. And if we're going to take ground, then we need to just continue to spend time with him. Abby asked a similar question. How do I continue to grow in biblical literacy? We've talked a little bit about this before, but I I think it's finding ways to read the Bible at greater lengths 
that are not you skimming the page and your eyes glazing over. I think we've all probably been there, right? Where we read the Bible and we start reading and we're really excited about reading and we get a few verses in and then kind of our eyes glaze over and we don't even remember what we read. So then we go back and we read it again. We've, we've now spent 20, 30 minutes reading the same passage. Maybe it's soap, maybe it's another passage and you're just reading it, but you're, you're not really getting it, right? It's not getting into you because you're just kind of checking the box and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm not even knowing anything about scriptures. So I think part of that is what are ways that you can use or, or read scripture that are ways that engage with you, right? You can listen to it on audio. Maybe, again, I do believe that a paper Bible in front of you can be really powerful, and it's probably something that we all should do is have a paper Bible that we read consistently. But I also think that the Word of God can be read over you. You know, if your theology is that you need a paper Bible to read it, well, what about people who can't read in other nations that only have it in audio or only have somebody that can explain it? Obviously, you know, the people that were that the apostles were preaching to didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. They were living in it. And so listening to the Bible, listening to you know commentaries, there's so many different commentaries that you can read uh, about people explaining the Word of God. Also, there's courses out there. You know, we've talked about Theosu before, talked about Bible Project. There's so many people, I mean, even YouTube, and again, you got to be careful of who you're watching, but there's some some great seminaries that have awesome resources out there on YouTube that are sharing things about the gospel. And also talk to a friend, maybe talk to somebody that you know really knows the word of God really well. So asking that, that question as well. But great questions, can't get to all of them, but I got to quite a few with Kirk out answering as many as possible. Next week, we will always answer more as well, but want to get to prayer requests and then want to end with the song as we do always. But there are lots of prayer requests as we do every week. We're talking as a staff this morning, praying over needs, and there are just so many requests, people that are believing for things and excited about praying. We love to pray as a staff. We pray every week over all the needs that our church submits Each week, we pray over different families in our church. We pray over politicians in our area. We pray over city leaders, uh, business leaders, different small groups. We are a church that wants to be in prayer. And obviously, we have 6 a.m. prayer on Tuesday mornings. We have staff prayer as well. And just we want to lean in to, God, you can meet these needs. It's not us who meets the needs. It is you who meets these needs. So as I read these out, just even be praying and and agreeing with uh, these prayer requests to be met or these praises as well. Andrea, praying for her children's dad. They'd come into agreement about the kids before school starts. Peace and conflict between us, co-parenting. Obviously, it's a challenge. Praying for for Tina and Jonathan, that I can bring them back to God, that they'd come back to him. And uh, also praying for pain in my joints, Annette says she needs prayer for her lungs and her voice, not feeling well. Yes, we're praying for that, as well as direction for her future from the Faribault campus. My grandma Darlene broke her hip, is recovering in a nursing home, praying for Darlene. My brother Josh is really depressed, can't seem to pull himself together, praying against depression in Jesus' name. A praise from Faribault. Uh, I was able to make it through probation at work. Awesome. Keeping the job. Amazing. Woodbury. 
uh, prayer for a woman going back to college to have discernment about which friendship she should pursue. That's such an important thing. Who should my friends be at college? I've talked to so many young adults to say, oh, I got caught up with the wrong group and I wish I wouldn't have, praying for all of our college students that they'd find great friends. Another woman who's overcome with anxiety and depression, praying for f freedom for her and that uh, her daughter's life change at youth camp would continue to stir her mother's faith. Ama amazing, her mother's faith. She was changed at youth camp and now she's being a, a witness to her mom. It's incredible. At Apple Valley, praying for a single mom, raising her children after trauma, prayer for another marriage that would be healed. Uh, another person has prostate cancer, stage four, praying for them to be healed. Um, and, but this is a praise from Apple Valley, a marriage that is healing through the power of Jesus. Mentors are coming alongside them. Amazing. So another person's praying for their marriage to be healed, but this person is celebrating that their marriage is being restored. Incredible. Chaska, Dave and Katie leading Global Team Argentina, praying for them, working with the Bible school down there. I've been on that Global Team. It's an amazing trip. Another person from Chaska praying for mental health breakthroughs in their family. Another friend is praying for her friend, Heather, who is needs healing for a procedure that didn't go to go to plan. And lastly, Maple Grove has a praise. A, gil, a girl was, was healed of a wart condition on her hands when she got prayed for at youth camp. They are completely gone. Incredible. Incredible. I love it. God is a healer. He heals. And he wants to be there in the midst of your need. And so as we pray today, we're praying for healing. We're praying for restoration. We're, we're praising him for these things and uh, just excited for all God is doing in our church. And when I get done praying, we're going to hear a new song from River Valley Ages called I Love You Too. So Lord, I pray for all these needs, for healings from cancer, from healings of marriages, mental health, anguish, co-parenting. There's so many things that people are praying for and believing for, but God, we praise you for the needs. We praise you for the healings that have happened, the restorations that are happening in marriage, the people that are being changed at youth camp, the kids that are saying, I'm different today, the healing of, of hands and of warts. God, you are a healer. You are a provider. You are a way maker, and we thank you for that. God, we pray for all the needs on this list and all those who are listening, that they would receive more of you. They would receive your presence, that they'd draw near, that they'd pursue you, God, that as we got through the series of First Peter, whether we're suffering, whether we're on the mountaintop, whether we're, we're an anxious or depressed or, or eager, God, that you would be with us and that we would be guided by your spirit and that you'd show us more of who you are, God. We thank you for all of these requests that they've come and we bring them before you. And God, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And everybody said, amen.
thanks for listening to the River Valley Podcast. It would help us out a ton if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also share it with somebody. We hope that this isn't just for people in our church. We hope that this is people far beyond that, but we know that people in our church maybe don't even know about it yet. We're talking about it on weekends. We're sharing in announcements, but maybe you're a listener, but someone in your small group business or someone at your campus. So would you send it to them, share it with them so that they can receive this and then rate it wherever you listen so that more people can find this podcast. If you have questions about faith, about church, about belief, about theology, about the Bible, please submit your questions. You can find us on Instagram at River Valley MN. You can also uh, email us, fi- finding us on our website, rivervalley.org. Please, we want to hear your questions so that we can continue to answer those or at least respond to them here on the podcast. And again, thank you for listening. We'll see you in church this weekend. Thank you.